with us this morning. Let's stand. Let's sing together. I'm coming with a heart of worship. I'm bringing in a brand new song. I'm ready to see the unthinkable. I'm ready for a miracle. I was praying for a fresh encounter. Souls looking to the Like a bird, like a 
got dancing, all kinds of stuff up here. I'm liking that. Uh, well, good morning. Glad y'all are here. Uh, we have a really cool thing that we're doing. Uh, we did two in the first service. We're going to get to do two in this service. It's child dedication, which, let's be honest, that's really not what this is about because the kids have absolutely no say whatsoever in what's going on here this morning. This is Fair. about... This is about what parents want to do. And to help me this morning <laughs> is Karen Manor. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Either you need to check your glasses or I got a little taller now, or something. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we have been, uh, this has been a crazy week for us uh, with sickness and stuff. And uh, so standing in Karen's place is Suzanne. And she's, um, Karen, if you're watching, hello. I know she was really disappointed not to be able to be here today. She put a lot of heart and prayer and effort into this morning, but um, we're going to get her done for these families. So introduce us to our families. Okay. Um, so you guys want to come on up? Molina's and Feist's. There they are. <laughs> guys, come on up. Go ahead, have you Best guys. day ever. Come on, down this way. <laughs> Come on up, you guys. Aww. Okay, um, so we have uh, introduced you to our families, and the families have also picked out a family verse that they um, have chosen for their child uh, to remember through the years, to, to, re to um, take that with them, and we're going to read those over them this morning. So first, we have Cameo and Juan and their daughter, Ziamara Elizabeth Molina. She goes by Zoe, <laughs> or I like to call her Zozo. <laughs> um, and uh, her name means ready for battle. I think that's evident this morning. <laughs> she is ready to go. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Zoe, your verse is Deuteronomy 31.6. So be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid and do not panic before them. For the Lord, your God, will personally go ahead of you. He will neither fail you nor abandon you. And uh, Zoe has her brothers, Nemesio, Gerson, and Elias uh, that she's joining the family in. And so let's give her a round of applause, Zoe. And then we have Katie and Tyler Feist and their brand new little one, uh, Paisley Grace. Oh, is <laughs> she awesome? Her name means place of worship. Um, she's just beautiful. Her verse is 2 Thessalonians 1, 11 and 12. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power, he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. And at the end here, Karen's put together a Bible for each of the kids and a certificate for you. But Grant is going to um, share with us some responsibilities that you have and that we have. Yeah. So we call it child dedication, but it's not. It's about you guys. It's about you guys as parents and having a desire to, to have your home be a place to where Christ is the center. And then all these little rugrats running around get to experience Jesus in the middle of that. Right. That's, that's kind of the point of this. And uh, the scriptures actually have quite a lot to say about this. Uh, in fact, in Deuteronomy, there's a thing called the Shema. And a Jewish family would get up every morning and they would repeat this to remind them, particularly parents, what your mission is as a parent. This is how it went. Listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. 
Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with your soul, and with all your strength. And these words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and your city gates. So this is the original live out the reality of Jesus in your home. And there are going to be times just like this, right? Where chaos is happening. There are smashing and breaking of things. There are going to be nights of tears. There's going to be a lot of laughter. There's going to be a lot of I'm in charge, no you're not. There's going to be all those things. And in every single one of those circumstances, you as a parent are going to have an opportunity to go, how can I live out Jesus in this moment? And you are not going to get it right all the time. And that's okay. That's okay. There are many of us in the room that have walked the walk of shame to our kids and gone, I'm sorry. That's not exactly how Jesus would have handled that. It doesn't make me wrong in what I thought. It may be wrong in how I delivered it. And this is what it means to walk and live out your faith. And this is the number one way they will catch your faith. They will catch it. They won't hear it. They'll catch it. So you just keep living that out. Now, if this is your desire to be this kind of family, to live out your faith in front of your kids, then would you just say, we do? We do. Okay, cool. Listen, this is not just a promise they make. This is a promise we get to make alongside them. Okay? Uh, part of our promise is that we're going to love them through all those fun years of parenting. Uh, there will be times where those of us that are older will laugh at you because we have been down this road where you're at, and it is not as bad as you think it is. And then there'll be times where we cry with you because they're hard days. They just are. But as a church family, this is what this is the image that God gives us as a church. He calls us family. And families walk through stuff with each other. Stuff that we like, stuff that we don't like. And for some of us, what that means is, being a family is, we wipe noses in the nursery. Some of it is we corral, we corral the crazies in the gym. Sometimes it means calling upward games. Sometimes it means bringing over a meal. And sometimes it just means sitting. But this is what it means. So here's my question to us. Do you, as a congregation, want to partner with them and helping them raising their kids, seeing the reality of Jesus in their life? And if that's true, would you stand up and say, we do? Please say, we do. <laughs> Yeah, there's a whole lot of please stand up. Okay, listen, take names and notes. These are all the people that say they're going to babysit for you. <laughs> so, uh, listen, this is a good day. This is what it means to be the family of God and helping each other grow up, forwards and backwards. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for these, uh, we thank you for these families. We thank you for new, bright, and yes, even loud voices that remind us how, how good it is to be in your presence pray for them. I pray that uh, you would give them the courage to just keep walking after you and chasing after you. Pray for us as a church family that we would walk alongside them well. And I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing together. Darkness tries to roll over my bones. 
into heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, your loving kindness soared through the shadows of my soul. The work is finished, the end is written. Jesus Christ, my living hope. Who could imagine so great a mercy? What heart could fathom such boundless grace? The God of ages stepped down from glory to wear my sin and bear my shame. The cross is spoken, I am forgiven. The King of kings calls me his own. Beautiful Savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah. Death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There's salvation in your name. Jesus Christ, my
Let's raise a hallelujah to our living hope today. Hallelujah Fear you lost your heart 
God, we thank you that death is defeated and you are alive in this place right now with us. And God, as we, um, as we close this time of music, pray that our worship would not stop as we, as we hear from you um, through your word this morning. God, I just pray that your word would sink in and God, that we would just take that next step. It's in your name I pray. So uh, over the last few weeks, uh, I've had to talk about slaves. I've had to talk about wives being submissive. Uh, this week, this, I get to talk about money, and I get to talk about Jesus going to hell and preaching to demons. So all in all, this has been a really great series. I'm really, really excited about this. So uh, let me just kind of walk through some things. Uh, January kind of flew by us. So I feel like I need to take care of a couple of housekeeping things uh, concerning 2021. Uh, giving, 19, uh, 19, whoo! I wish it was 1980. Okay, uh, 2021 giving came in at 89% of the budget. Um, and then our expenses were $50,000 less than our giving. And so this number does include... Uh, so if you take out our PPP loan and 25,000 reserve fund that we paid to ourselves, if you remove both of those, we still operated at 2021 at $10,000 positive. Um, and, and to grasp, yeah, that is absolutely something to clap about because um, this week I was, uh, I, I got a hold of some numbers. Um, Do you want to do this part of the message for me? That'd be really good. Um, came across some national stats this week on the American church. They're just staggering. Um, church attendance uh, across our country is down 35%. Um, 80% of churches last year reported no new life in Christ. 32% of American churches experienced their lead pastor resigning or retiring. One in three churches experienced this. 
38% of pastors are considering leaving the ministry in the next 12 to 18 months. Now, I am not one of those 38%. Some of you, that may be bad news. But having said that, uh, there are so many churches that are just completely lost right now as to what to do. They are upside down financially. They're upside down visionally. Uh, they find themselves in combat with their culture. They find themselves angry at the world around them as opposed to seeing the world around them as lost and needing a savior. And I just want to tell you, thank you. It has been a long two years, but we're better. And um, over the last eight months, our vision has become so much clearer and we're starting to put things in place about living out the reality of Jesus in a very real way of seeing lost people meet the only person on the, on the world that matters, the only person that loves them unconditionally, and that's Jesus. And we're going to try to do everything we can to make sure as many people as possible have an opportunity to meet Jesus. And, um, and we're able to do that, yes, because of your financial generosity, but more than that, because of your heart and because of what you've allowed Christ to change in you, to see things bigger than just you, to see the culture as larger than just something to argue with, but as people who need a father, who need a savior. So thank you. Thank you for allowing me to be your pastor. Thank you for allowing our staff to be here and to be a part of that. It really means a lot to us. Um, this letter has come out of some of this stuff that we've been working with because this letter that we're going through, First Peter, is all about writing to a group of people who find themselves in a minority. They find themselves with a mindset of loving Jesus, of wanting to follow Jesus, but then they look around themselves and they see that everything around them has nothing to do with Jesus. Uh, in fact, most of the, the people around them not only believe different things, but they believe vastly different things. And then a lot of them don't even have any spiritual beliefs. They don't have any kind of, of spiritual or religious tradition at all. And that's very much like the culture that we find ourselves in here in America the way it is now. And so this letter is completely applicable, and that's, and that's where we're at, and, and you're allowing us to do some of these things. Now, <clears throat> it is probably not a huge, probably not a huge surprise to some of you that um, I am a big science fiction fan, big. And I'm not talking about, like Star Wars is good, I like Star Wars, okay? But I'm talking like geeky sci-fi stuff, okay? Like I just finished a three book novel called The Spin Series, okay? And The Spin Series, on one day uh, the earth, the, the stars and the sun go dark and the scientists are trying to figure out what happened and then they realize that an alien race has come and put the earth in a cocoon in a barrier, okay? And look, quit looking at me like Amy does. Stop. Stop it. Okay, let me just, let me just take, this is a really cool story, okay? So they put the barrier around the earth, it makes the sun and the stars darken and they're trying to figure out why this happened and so they, they send a probe, they send a probe, a manned probe to check out what happens and when it comes back, it comes back the next day and it's an alien race. And they figure out that what's happened is, is this barrier has created this time thing that we're inside the barrier on Earth 
one day equals 100 million years on the outside of the barrier. So when they sent that probe to the moon with people, and the next day it came back, it was 100 million years of, of, of evolution that happened when they were landed on the moon. Okay, none of you are digging this at all. Like, none of you, like, not one. Okay, me and you, that's it, yeah. Yeah, we're the exiles here. Okay, so, so now you know, like, you guys are looking at me just like my family does. We're like, you know, we love you, and we wish we cared. We wish we cared about this. Yeah, roll tide. Yeah, okay, that's coming later. Okay, uh. Okay, so, so anyway, my point of this is, is that we are at the part in the letter of 1 Peter where we're entering some sci-fi territory, okay? But we're going to get to a part in the letter here where you're going to hear Peter talk about some things, and the way that you looked at me when I talked about the spin, that's the way you're going to look at the scripture, okay? So just, but I think there's some handles here that we can deal with. So let's, let's get into this. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, regard Christ as Lord as holy and ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do this with gentleness and reverence, keeping a clear conscience, so that when you are accused, those who disparage your good conduct in Christ will be put to shame. So Peter is saying, listen, be ready so you don't have to get ready. Live as a blessing. We learned about this last week. These are some of the things we learned. Be a blessing where you're at so that when people see what's going on and they ask you about it, you can give a defense. And here's the key thing. This defense needs to be gentle. Gentle. It doesn't need to be a theological treatise. It doesn't need to be this novella of everything that you believe the prophecies claim to be true. It just needs to be a gentle defense. I was sitting in a, in a city task force about human trafficking, and I'm sitting around these tables. There's multiple civic leaders and leaders from first responders. There's all, leaders from all over our city around this table. So we're sitting around this table. We're talking about first responders, and I'm happy to be at a table with a guy uh, who I know does not believe anything spiritual. And the reason I know he doesn't believe anything spiritual is that he kind of says this around the table as we're going around. He says that, and it's just like this, and I just think this, and blah, 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 blah. And it comes around, it comes to me, right? And I go, hey, I'm Grant. I'm a pastor at Western Hills Church. And you can just kind of see him going, huh? Like, I might as well have told him I was a science fiction writer, right? I mean, this is what I might as well have told because it's like, I, I have no. So anyway, we go through this whole meeting, and we kind of hit it off. It's kind of funny because, you know, he's, he's an atheist, and I'm not. And, and so we're just kind of doing this thing. And so we get to a break, and um, he, he's talking to me. And I don't know if you've ever had this experience, but he's talking to me like he wants to make a connection with me. But he's just so awkward. Like, he's so awkward. He has no idea how to talk to a pastor, right? He has, he has no idea. Like, what's your favorite Bible verse? Like, I mean, he has no, like, he has no, like, like talking about sports or anything like that would just be so, like, he, he just doesn't know. He's just so awkward. So finally, and I'm laughing, and I'm not making it easy on him either. I'm just kind of like, hey, yeah. Yeah, John 3, 6. No, I, I just, we're just kind of, and so finally he says this. He says this. He says, okay, listen, I'm just going to shoot straight with you. I'm really surprised to see someone from the church around the table. And I go, really? He goes, yeah. Because, you know, normally you guys don't want to have anything to do with pornography or prostitutes or, or anything like that. And I just can't believe you're around the table to help us. And I went, well, to be clear, we are not here to help you make pornography. <laughs> so I want to be clear about that. And he goes, no, 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 that's not what I meant. That's not what I meant. Like, he gets all defensive. Like, he can't, 
Like, you can't take a joke. And he's like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. He's like, no, I'm, I'm just surprised that you're here because, you know, normally you just, you just, you just judge people. And I kind of go, oh, okay. He goes, I said, well, do you kind of want to know why we're here? And he's like, actually, I would. I said, well, why didn't you lead with that question? Like, that, that would have been a good question. And he goes, okay, okay, okay. So why, why are you sitting on the table? I said, it's pretty easy. These are people made in the image of God. And they have value. And they have worth. And they're in a prison that they can't get out of by themselves. This is the gospel. This is what we do. This is what we do. And he was like, huh. Like, that was it. Like, he was expecting this long sermon, this long thing. He's like, no, man, people are made in the image of God. They have value. We're going to be the right. We want to step in this place and be a rescue unit. That's what it means to be ready. That wasn't argumentative. It wasn't haughty. It wasn't arrogance. It was a gentle, gentle defense, a gentle reason as to why we found ourselves in a place that we wanted to be a blessing. Do not, do not underestimate this thing, gentleness. Gentleness is on every single list describing what being transformed by Jesus looks like. Every single list in Scripture that talks about being made into the image of Christ, of having the influence of the Holy Spirit, of being transformed to look like Jesus, gentleness is on that list. It is the key measure of our growth in Christ. And let me just say this to push it even a little bit further. If we aren't growing in gentleness, then something is wrong in your spiritual discipleship. Yeah, if, if we're not growing in gentleness, something is, we're, we're missing something. And this is what Peter is telling this, this group of Christ followers in a hostile environment. He says, listen, when you're set to talk about Christ in these contexts, don't be haughty, don't be arrogant, don't be angry. Don't, don't sit on the table and go, get right or get left. Like, don't, don't bang on the things and go, man, you know, no God or no peace, no God, no peace. No, no. Be gentle. Be reverent. Lift Christ up and do it in a way that's, that reflects him accurately. And that's what he's trying to say here. And now Peter gets weird. It gets weird now. Because from verse 19 to chapter 4, verse 6, Peter's going to say the following things. And I'm going to cliff note it for us because it gets a little weird. He says, listen, Jesus died and rose again to bring us to God. And when he died, before he resurrected, Jesus went to the prison where the disobedient children of Noah were. Okay, that's a reference. All right, flood, didn't want to get on the boat. That's where Jesus goes. And he preached. Now, Peter doesn't tell us what he preached. He doesn't tell us any of that content. But he says, listen, this is what happens. But, but those of you that are in Christ, if you're in Christ, you don't need to worry your little heads about this. You don't need to worry about this because we're in Christ. Now, those that aren't in Christ, one day they're going to have to give an account for the pagan way that they live. And he gives a little list of all those things unrestrained in their behavior, you know, drugs, sex, rock and roll, all those things. He says, you're going to have to give an account for that. But if you're in Christ, you don't have to worry about this. And then he says this, verse 6. 
For this reason, the gospel was also preached to those who are now dead, so that although they might be judged in the flesh according to human standards, they might live in the spirit according to God's standards. Lots of questions at this point, right? So are you saying that when you die, Jesus shows up again to preach the gospel to you and you get another chance? Is that what this is saying? Is this saying that between Jesus' death and resurrection, he took a tour through hell and just said, hey, everybody, I'm being resurrected. Anybody that wants to come along, come join me. what, What exactly is going on here? Now, you remember a few weeks ago where I said that whenever you hit one of those passages and you're like, I have no idea what's going on or this sounds kind of funky, we need to walk through three things. We need to walk through the cultural context, the whole witness of Scripture, and then are there any kingdom principles? You remember this? We've only been doing it for three weeks, so I know it could get a little crazy, right? That's what we're going to do with this. So cultural context is this. Jews and Gentiles that made up the church that Peter is talking about and in the larger culture that they found themselves in, they believed that the, immort- that the soul of, the, of, of, of us was immortal, that humanity's soul was immortal, that when we physically died, there was still something about us that lived on forever. Both Jews and Gentiles believed that there was a place for good people and there was a place for bad people. Now, the, the Greek understanding of the good place was multi-layered. It was very, very complicated, right? If you were a warrior, if you were a farmer, if you were... A businessman, you had different places, and then you had different levels of of the bad place, too. So, like, if you were only kind of cheating in business, you had this place, but if you were outright heathen, you were really down here, right? So they had all these multiple layers on the Greek side. The Jews had it fairly simple. Either you were with Abraham and with God, or you were in the grave. You were dead. You were in hell, right? And and that it was if you you were uh, living according to the law. And so that was pretty simple for the Jewish side. They both believed this, but Peter talking to them about the afterlife and Jesus speaking to the afterlife would not have been completely off the rails. It would not have completely ambushed them. What, what ambushed them and what Peter was telling them was, was this idea that righteousness was found in a relationship, not in your behavior. That, that was the piece of the puzzle that was kind of new for them. And Peter's not the only one that, that teaches this, right? This is part of the whole witness of the Bible, that righteousness is a relationship with God, not my behavior, right? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21, he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Philippians 3.9 talks about that uh, I don't have a righteousness of my own, and that my righteousness does not come from the law, but my righteousness comes through faith in Christ, and that's the righteousness of God, and that depends on my faith. Righteousness in the New Testament is always tied to a relationship with Jesus, not my behavior, not my thoughts, not how good I am, not how hard I'm trying, but my relational status with Jesus Christ. So that when God looks at me and I have a relationship with Jesus Christ, he does not see my sin, my failures, my insecurities, my doubts, even the stuff that I'm wrestling with right now today. What he sees when he looks at me is he sees Jesus. He sees a son 
he sees a daughter. That's what he sees. He sees my son died for him, for her, for her, for him. That's my kid. If I'm in Christ, that's how God sees me. Now, we can wrestle and argue with, there's no way he sees me that way. You don't know what I, I wrestle with doubt all the time. I, I, still, I still struggle. I still, I still argue with this. I still mess with this up. I've messed this up. I made all these bad decisions. That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, it's not fine. But I mean, what I'm saying is, that is not what God is judging you on. God is judging on what have you done with my son, Jesus Christ. And Peter says, Paul says this, Jesus says this, that if my hope is in Christ, if I've given my life to Christ and I'm going, man, I'm just, I, I need you, I need your life, then that's how he sees me. And the exchange is very simple. Jesus says, give me your life, give me your sin, give me your destiny, and in exchange, I'll give you mine. And it's crazy. It's completely crazy to think about righteousness this way. But this is what the whole witness of Scripture teaches. That if you are in Christ, you are a son of the king. You are a daughter of the king. And you are an heir of every single spiritual blessing. Every single one. And if you are not in Christ, you have none of those things. If you're not in Christ, you have to stand on your own righteousness. And that's not a great place to stand. The whole witness of Scripture also teaches this, that after death, there is judgment. And the judgment is an accountability, right? The, the judgment is an accountability of what, what, if, what have you done with Jesus? And the whole scriptures attest to these two things. So when we get to these verses in 1 Peter 3, and it talks about Jesus going to the prison, preaching to the disobedient sons of Noah, preaching the gospel into, uh, into these places of hell, what, what do we do with this? How, how do we handle this? What, what, how do we interpret this? Well, um, let me walk you through a couple things that I've learned this week. <laughs> there are some people that have really wrestled with what to do with these verses, and they have, well, they failed miserably <laughs> on what to do with them. Let me, let me give you a couple. One, uh, one theory is, is that uh, Jesus went to the prison to preach the condemnation, to preach that, that the day of the Lord was finally here and that their sentence in hell was confirmed now and they had no hope. Now, I find that interesting uh, interpretation because none of that is said in First Peter 3 whatsoever. I mean, it's just like, so Jesus is doing this in your face, loser victory tour to people in hell. Like, you, uh, that, like that, doesn't even make, that doesn't even make sense within the character of Jesus. Like, that, that doesn't mean anything to me. Another theory, a couple other theories, though, have kind of taken, have, have kind of taken a life of their own, and, and, and I kind of want to talk about it. Uh, some cults and fringe, I, I use this term loosely, Christian groups, they label themselves as Christian groups, they use this verse to teach that it's possible for people to receive Christ as their Savior after they die. That Jesus would, would preach to them after they die and they would get another chance. The, the, no, 
There, there's nothing in Scripture that gives us that hope at all. Nothing. And, and I'm not even sure that this verse, chapter six, chapter 4, verse 6, I'm not even sure that's what that is saying at all anyway. Hebrews says it best when it says, It is appointed for man to live once and after that die and face the judgment. Every single one of us will stand before the King of Kings and get to see him face to face. And that day is either going to be a day of great comfort or a day of great chaos, depending on what you have done with Jesus. There's another theory that is interesting, but I'm not sure how important it is, and that is that that Jesus, between the time that he died and he resurrected, went to hell one more time to give those that were in hell one last chance to believe before he resurrected. And to that I say, sure, why not? I mean, I, I'm not, that, I don't think that's what the verse teaches, but I don't know if believing that really sways one way or the other either. Jesus in his, had absolute right to do that as the Son of God. He could do that. He could give folks an opportunity to do that. But at the same time, he also said to the thief on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. And it still wouldn't change the fact that what we do with Jesus on earth is the most important decision we will ever make. And that we have no guarantee of anything beyond death of, of, of having a second chance. Everyone will be accountable. So what kingdom principles do we have in this? Well, I want to walk through a couple. The first one, I'm not sure if it's a kingdom principle or if it's just a good theory of interpretation. And, then, and I don't know who said this, but I've stole it. And if I say it enough times, maybe I'll get credit for it. But here's the phrase. We need to whisper where the scriptures whisper and shout where the, whispers shout, where the scriptures shout. We're talking about two verses in 1 Peter versus the entire witness of the whole scriptures. Building a theological truth or building a, something that you believe to be true for all eternity on two verses in scripture versus what the rest of the scripture says is not just poor theology, it is foolishness. There are things in scripture that whisper. I've often been cornered and asked questions like, can the unbelieving spouse be saved by the faith of the believing spouse? Or why doesn't Paul deal with the virgin birth? Or I know I'm messing with some of you right now. You're like, is that in scriptures? It's like, or, 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 or you know, or I've been quoted, you know, this little phrase in Revelation, don't, do you think that that means that so-and-so could be the Antichrist? Sure. <laughs> and, 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 and what I'm saying is, is that the obscure references in the scripture should not drown out what the clear teachings in scripture have already told us. Let me say it to you this way. I'm not saying that studying deeply the word of God and finding out what some of these things mean isn't important. It, it is, but it is not as important as allowing the clear word of God transform us to look more like Jesus. If our only purpose in studying some of these obscure passages is just to have some knowledge that we can impress people with, then you've missed the point of Christianity. The point of Christianity is to change you to look more like Jesus. 
And it's not the obscure, hard-to-understand passages that keep me up at night. It's the clear ones that I understand that I'm not doing anything with. Those are the ones that keep me up at night. There's a second thing that I think we need to talk about. And that is all throughout scriptures, Jesus is going to get the last word. And it will be the right one. There's a couple of scenes, there's a scene described in scripture multiple places. Paul talks about it in, um, in Romans. He also talks about it in Philippians. Peter talks about it. John talks about it in Revelation. Um, and, and Jesus alludes to it in the Gospels where he says that the Son of Man will return. The Son of God will return. And when he does, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You, you, you know the scene I'm talking about? All right? And, and I used to believe, this is what I used to believe. I used to believe that was the scene in the movie where the guy comes in and he's like, I'm the guy, right? And everybody, everybody's forced to kneel down and say he's king. And it's just this conquering hero returning kind of thing. That's how I used to think that what that meant. I think I was wrong. I'm going to tell this story, and it, and it pales in comparison, but, but hang with me with the story because I think, I think you're going to understand what I'm saying. Now, I grew up an Alabama Crimson Tide football fan. I know some of you are already tuning out. Just hang in there. Roll Tide. Roll tide. Here we go. Now, I grew up. I've got a picture of my dad with Bear Bryant, okay? So this is not like I've been seven years old, okay? I went through the 90s with Alabama. They were terrible, okay? So this is, this is real for me, okay? And so all, I've seen him play in, uh, in Legion Field. I've, uh, I've seen him play in all these different places. But the one place, the one place I had never, ever been to, that I had never even seen a game at, was Bryant-Denny Stadium in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Can you believe that? Never had been to a game. So a couple of years ago, before the pandemic, my kids got me a trip to Tuscaloosa to a night game, 6 o'clock kickoff, Alabama, Tennessee, Bryant-Denny Stadium. It was going to be me and my dad going to the game. Roll Tide. So we get down there, we get to Tuscaloosa, we do the game day, we do the whole, the whole thing. The whole, man, there's Bryant-Denny Stadium holds 101,700 101, fans. Two hours before kickoff, we're standing outside the stadium. They didn't open the stadium yet. Two hours before kickoff, okay? Two hours before kickoff. It's just mass people anywhere. They open the door. We get to our seats an hour before kickoff. There is already 80,000 people in the stands singing the fight song, screaming Roll Tide. I mean, and we, and we get to our seats, and my dad's, my dad's like, man, we need to go do this, and we need to go do that, we need to go do that, we need to go do this, and we need, like, we need to walk around here so you can see the whole stadium. And you know what my reaction was? I had to sit down in the seat. I was like, this is my Graceland. I just, this, this can't believe I'm here. So like, I was completely over. I have found my people's. I mean, it was just, it was this glorious moment. And I'm overwhelmed. Like, I can't even talk to my dad. 
And my dad's going, what's wrong with you? I was just completely overwhelmed. When Jesus returns, when, when the scriptures tell us that every knee will bow and every tongue confess, this isn't some forced Jesus using the force to make him kneel. No, this is this overwhelming, holy cow. It's true. It's true. That's him. That's Jesus. And people are not going to be able to do anything else except kneel. They're not going to be able to stand in front of him. They're going to be completely overwhelmed. The idea of I'm going to stand before him in my righteousness, are you kidding me? I can't stand in front of that. And for people on that day, it's either going to be a day of great comfort. For some of us, we're going to go, that's him. That's him. And he's going to go, son, daughter. And we're going to go, that's him. He sees He's forgiven me. He's made me new. He's given me a new purpose. He's transformed me. I'm different. He loves me. I'm unconditionally accepted. It's him. It's him. It's true. Everything that I hoped for, everything that I believed, everything that I doubted and I hoped was true, but I didn't really believe it was true. It's true. It's him. And it's going to be this great day of comfort, and we're just going to bow, and we're going to confess. But then there are going to be people that it will be a great day of chaos for them because everything they built their life on, everything they fought against, everything they said, they're going to look at it and they go, it's all a lie. And he's true. And I don't know what to do with this except kneel and finally confess, yes, he's Lord. It's the same confession Two completely different experiences. And here's what I think Peter's trying to get at. The first thing he's trying to get at is telling those people that if you've built your life on all of this stuff that doesn't matter, you're going to face that day and it is not going to be a good day for you. And you don't have to do that. But I think what he's also telling the church is this. Quit seeing the people that disagree with you, that don't believe in Jesus like you, quit seeing them as the enemy and start seeing them as lost people who need to know their dad. Because our hearts will break on that day. This is why Peter is telling them over and over again, don't be arrogant. Don't be angry. Be a blessing. Be a blessing where you're at. Because there's going to come a day where they're going to see Jesus. And I hope it's not the first day they see him. You must be Jesus to them. And represent him well. Don't live arrogantly and angrily. Be gentle. Be a blessing. Don't return insult to insult or evil for evil. There's way more at stake here than just you making sure you win an argument. 
And I think that's why Peter includes this in his letter. To give us a heavenly perspective of what's at stake of living as an exile and living as a missionary. Would you bow your heads with me for just a second? I want to ask two questions. Here's my two questions. Will the day you see Jesus face to face be a day of great comfort for you or will it be a day of great chaos? What will that day be for you? And if it will be a day of chaos, would you take a chance to give your life to Jesus, to be changed, to be transformed. Would you like to know the man who loved you enough to die for you when you didn't even know who he was, but he knew you? that's you is a real simple prayer you can pray that just simply goes this father I need Jesus I need to give Jesus my life and I need his life instead I, I, I need his death his burial and his resurrection I need him in my life and I need to learn how to follow him and to live with him Second question, for those of us who know Jesus, how do you see those people who don't know Jesus? Do you see them as the enemy? Or do you see them as lost brothers and sisters who need to know about a father who loves them? We will never live as missionaries, as ambassadors, as exiles if we see people who don't know Jesus as the enemy. They are not the enemy. They are prisoners of war. Maybe the prayer some of us need to pray this morning is, Father, change my heart. Teach me what it means to live as a blessing, not giving insult for insult or evil for evil. Change my heart to see them as you see them, people made in your image that desperately need a Savior. Listen, if you've navigated some decisions this morning and you're, you kind of need some help trying to figure out what that next step is, we, we'd really like to help you take that next step in your journey. And you can fill out that card in your pew and just say, hey, I need some help with the next step. You can fold that up, put it in the connection kiosk, we'll get to you uh, within 24 hours. You can do that online as well, our online audience. You can fill that in the chat. 
You can go visit our website. You can ambush us here in the hallways if you're here. We really want to help you figure out that next step in your journey in following Jesus. We really want to be a part of that. Suzanne, you're going to come and help us uh, make a couple other connections and give our blessing? Yeah. Thank you, Grant. Some good stuff this morning, huh? Some exciting stuff. Some hard stuff. That's the journey he's got us on. But the good news is, some of the good news, is that we don't have to do this alone. We have one another. He's given us brothers and sisters in Christ to spur one another towards good works, to help us navigate um, this whole this whole pathway of living as exiles and of um, reaching others, of finding out what's whispering and what's shouting and walking through those things together. And if you don't have that kind of community in your life, that you're able to walk through this with someone in a very personal way, we invite you to do that. And one of the ways that you can do that is to join um, one of our connect groups. We have um, folks getting together every week doing this, um, trudging through and celebrating with one another. So we invite you to come be a part of that journey. Um, Grant mentioned the Connect card. That's a place you can put right there on the other line. Just write Connect groups in there, and we will help find you a spot to land. Um, and for people to walk through this with you, that will love you through that process, and that will push one another to, to love each other better. And if you're a guest of ours today, if this is your first or second time to come, we are so, so thankful that you're here. We're just thrilled to have you. And we want to know that you are here. So if you wouldn't mind taking a moment again to fill out this card, um, just drop it in the Connection Chaos. There's one in the back of the room. There's some out in the lobby as well. And we'd love to just say hello, hear a little bit about your story. We won't bother you too much, but definitely um, want to help you figure out how we can journey with you together as we go forward. Those Connection Kiosks, also a great way to give, um, as well as online options if God's prompting you to give as part of your, your spiritual journey there. We have a ton of really exciting things coming up. We've been talking about them the last couple of weeks. We have a lead night worship night at the end of February. We want to invite everyone to come for that. More of what we've been experiencing this morning. We have a new series coming up on mental health that we're partnering with some churches around town. So check out social media, check out the website to get more details about those. But the bottom line is that we don't do any of these things that we ever talk about for the sake of doing them. It's not another thing on the calendar. We do that because these are the ways that we equip one another to live out the reality of Jesus to every person, every place, all the time, just like Grant was talking about this morning. Our blessing is another reminder of how to do that. So as we head out this morning, would you stand with me? We are going to read this over one another as we head out into our mission field this week. In Christ, you go nowhere alone. Wherever you go, God is there. Wherever you are, God can work through you. He gives purpose to your being there. Christ, who dwells in you, has something to do through you where you are. Believe this and go in his grace, love, and power. Go be the church.